Welcome to the seventh season of Inside Insights, a podcast powered by Zappy, but really powered by Kelsey Sullivan. Kelsey, thank you for all of your wonderful work in producing all six of our seasons so far. Please don't cut this part. Um, and I'm excited for season seven. Patricia, what's up? Oh, I am. I cannot even believe this is our seventh season. This is my sixth season because I wasn't with you the first season, but this is just amazing. It's been so much fun. So much. I've learned about other things, but I've learned a lot about myself this journey. This journey has taught me a lot about myself. Really, well, really. What has this journey taught me? I, I've, we've been very strict of who comes on this show. So this isn't a sales tool for us, although we do use it. Let's not kid ourselves. But that's not the intent of the editorial governance of the podcast. Um, so we've talked to a lot of really cool people. I learned once again that when you try things you're not comfortable doing, it's good for you. And I, to this day, don't listen to podcasts, but I will tell you, I have a podcast on my to-do list this weekend. Oh yeah, the one you said. I have a podcast on my to-do list this weekend from today's guest. Yep. Which is Joe Lepore. Um, and she is wonderful. Uh, and I'm really, really excited. And Joe's yes. podcast is called Looking Outside. And I'm going to listen to it, even though I don't listen to podcasts. But what I've learned about doing the podcast is that I like doing them. I like talking to cool people. And I like that I get an excuse to hang out with you two often, because I don't know that I would otherwise as much. So, so I appreciate you. That's what I'm going to put first. I mean, yes, it is outside of my comfort zone. I decided to do something out of my comfort zone. But I got to tell you, I'm not going to say I like doing podcasts, because I don't know that answer. I like doing podcasts with you guys, because that's I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable. I don't have to be anybody else but me. I don't even have to pretend. I can curse if it comes out. We get to talk about stuff I'm passionate about and learn. And I get to summarize, which I love to do. It's just cool. It is cool. Well, Joe Laporte is somebody who I'm in the process of getting to know, but I'm a huge fan of. And by getting to know, I mean like, I think she's be, she'll probably be a friend of mine. And I look back 10 years and be like, I'm really glad this person is in my life. She's a just a really wise woman. She she makes you very comfortable um, and she's very present in in, in her conversation. And, uh, and I really appreciate that. This conversation is fun. And frankly, what I learned is people from New England with Irish mothers and people from Australia who moved to the US have one main thing in common. They like to swear. So this is an explicit episode but it's a lot of fun. We cover a lot of things um, from Joe's journey from Australia to Mars to Foresight within Mars to uh, now at McDonald's, moving different places um, to how she finally got credit for always being herself, even though you know she's always been the same way. It was an interesting reflection and, and uh, to Foresight. Um, should we get into it? Hi, everybody. And welcome to the new season of Inside Insights. I'm joined by a woman who I admire, who I've had the chance to get to know a little bit and hopefully a lot more over the course of the next several years, Joe Lepore, who has several words in her job title, and I'm going to try to say them all. Joe is the Global Director of Foresight and Capabilities Exploration at McDonald's. Did I get it right, Joe? Uh, bang on. Good job. And Joe is the first of uh, my guests that also has a podcast. Joe's podcast is called Looking Outside. Um, as I joked with Joe before I hit record, I don't actually listen to podcasts despite doing one. So I'm going to take an action to listen to yours after this. But what is your podcast all about, Joe? Thank you for the plug and for being honest. I can't believe I'm the first one that has a podcast. First, that's come on first podcaster. Come on. I know. 
Although I'm going to have Fabronia on. I think she might have launched a podcast, but we'll see. Well, that you also haven't listened to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's true. <laughs> so my podcast is um, basically I started it so that I could talk to interesting people about whatever it is that I wanted to talk to them about. So every episode focuses on a different topic. I've covered um, like storytelling, true crime, air, commercial air travel, um, you know, like medicine. So I basically, when I meet really interesting people that think about the world in a different way and that are open to approaching a problem in a, in a fresh way, I'm like, can you please come on my show and talk about this? And my intention is for it to be a passion project, which it is. Um, so it's something that I get a lot of energy out of. And what I hear from my community, my audience is um, every episode is a little bit surprising, a little bit different, and um, allows them to think about different topics that they're not normally exposed to. So it's good fun. That is fun. Okay. So while I haven't listened, you do a great job of uh, making your podcast into little video bite size. And I did catch a clip of you with a comedian who I could tell you were a fan of, and it was a great energy on the podcast. Um, Gosh, so it, it's interesting people. Who was the person again? Monty Franklin, he's an Australian comedian and seriously could not believe that he said yes to coming on my show. He's been on, on like the Joe Rogan show. I'm like, why are you saying yes to me? I'm just doing it. Did he say in that video that you stalked him? Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> like 50,000 emails. I went to his show in Chicago and cornered him like right when he got off stage. I'm like, are you coming on my show? So I made it <laughs> happen. Sometimes I have to like twist people's arms a little bit and uh, it's just a... Uh, Again, like we were talking about this before we started recording, but, you know, sometimes I get nervous before I record and definitely on the podcast, I get nervous with certain people and, you know, want to make sure that, as you know, you do a good job of like bringing out the best out of someone, making it interesting, but also having fun yourself when you're doing it. Yeah, it, it is true. And so we talked about this a little bit. I, why don't we just stay here for a sec? Like, I think, you know, and people say this about me and I know people say this about you a lot. You're in the public spotlight. You speak at a lot of conferences. You're a thought leader, all these things. And so on the surface, you're super calm. And, and you just said you get nervous before you come on. I said to Joe before we recorded, I haven't recorded a podcast in three months. And so I was nervous. So, so I guess for people listening that are trying to find their voice, like how do you go about kind of battling anxiety and nerves and, and getting yourself comfortable being out there and being vulnerable? How the heck do I do that? Um, are we allowed to swear on this show? Oh no. fuck yeah! This is my, this is this is a safe space. Okay, good. You have an Aussie on, so that's yeah, and my mother's from the inner city of Dublin, Ireland. It's a foul <laughs> podcast. Although I have been making an intention to try to swear less, but I usually fail miserably. Okay, well it, that's good to know. I can just cut loose. Yeah, yeah, you're good. <laughs> so, so how do I do it? I just, I just do it. Um, so I. I'm a big fan of just throwing yourself into the deep end, like using the nerve, like, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. Just like use your nerves. And it's a little bit of a cliche, but people say, you know, when you're nervous about something or when you're angry about something, it's because you really care. And I try to remember that when I'm in the moment, when I'm about to get up on stage or I'm about to present to a, like an MD or a CEO or whatever it might be. I'm like, uh, I feel like my guts are going to fall out. Um, why? Because I really want to do a good job. So then, you know, just try to balance the energy that you're getting from the nerves with the uh, all of the things that you already know, like trust yourself, that you know your stuff, you've prepared, you're you're credible, you're here for a reason, you know, believe and believe in yourself. It sounds a little bit hokey, but 
Um, yeah, I get that. I get that quite a lot from people, particularly because I joined McDonald's already having a podcast and already having a you know relative public presence. Um, somebody said to me yesterday, um, I feel like I met them for the first time. They said, I, I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity. I'm like, get the fuck what? out of here. I am, <laughs> I am nowhere near that. But in the McDonald's sphere, you know, you're talking to data scientists, you're talking to like HR people, people who are not doing what you and I do. They don't get up on a you know stage or in front of a microphone. So for them, this is very scary and unsettling and maybe weird like why why would you put yourself in that position I do sometimes ask myself that um and so uh you know the the point to reiterate there is like even though we do it a lot it's it's still hard it's still nerve-wracking I still get nervous it's not easy it just becomes easier yeah I think it does and like someone you said that that I still feel is like if, if you have a little bit of nerves about something, it's actually a good thing to me. It tells you you're alive. And like, there's something exhilarating about like confronting that and getting to the other side that like, I, I still, this is weird. I still, before I public speak, have to go hide and quiet for five minutes before. Nobody ever knows this. Now I guess everybody knows this. Oh, like, I, I get that. mic'd up and then I go for a walk outside and like breathe for a second. Um, have you ever, don't you get nervous though that your mic is on? I always QA that. I've never... I've never had, I mean, you see enough shit on the internet where like, I've never hot mic'd myself, but you like, you know, there was something going around the internet a couple of years ago of a news anchor that was hot mic'd and saying some like real foul stuff to people. Yeah. Like I think that person got fired. Like it was, um, yeah, yeah I, usually, I usually QA that. Same thing with Zoom. Like if, you, if you're on a conference call, it's like, all right, am I actually on mute here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is that person saying? <laughs> I, had, um, I was in uh, a few months ago, I was presenting. Um, it was like a, a really rare opportunity in front of our global supply chain, you know, teams from around the world out of Madrid. And it was like hundreds of people. I don't know, like 500 people in the audience. I was standing there. I was mic'd up. I was like nervous as all hell. I'm like, I just need to get I need to do some heavy breathing, you know, and like calm mm -hmm. myself. So I went and exited and went to the bathroom and I like checked with the AV person, I think 50 times. I'm like, are you sure that my mic is off? Do you want me to take it off? I'd rather just take it off and not take it into the bathroom. Like right. in the fear that just in case I'm going to be like heavy breathing through the mass speakers of this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so did you end up taking it off? No, I left it on and I was like nervous the entire time that I was going to like run some water and people would think that I'm like going to the toilet or so like the worst possible, you know, Seinfeld like experience would happen to me. Um, thankfully, nothing happened. And I got up on stage and I smashed it. Oh, good. You always smash it. I've always enjoyed your talk. So I want to talk to you about this a little bit more. Like, so it wasn't five years ago. I didn't know who you were. And a good friend of both of ours, I, she might even be your boss now, Michelle Gansley. What's up, I'm Michelle? Um, Michelle's a good boss. Probably best boss in the game, maybe. I don't know. Like, best I, I boss ever. Yeah, best Michelle. person, maybe. Ever. Yeah, I, I would agree. But Michelle, we are in like the inner circle of your fan club um, for a variety of reasons. I mean, that's a, just a good human being on every level. Anyways, this is not about Michelle. This is about you. <laughs> Michelle called me. Michelle one day and said, have you ever heard of Joe Lepore? You got to know this woman. She's incredible. And I was like, no idea who you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, now, obviously, once somebody puts someone in your radar, you notice them more. But then all of a sudden, you were everywhere. And I, I find, like, and I haven't a chance to have, like, you know, drink with you and dinner with you and stuff. But, like, 
you know, you were in Australia, what, five years ago in, an, in a regional insights role? Is that true? Two years ago. Well, okay, so even two years ago, you're in Australia in a regional insights role. You've put foresight, in my opinion, as a capability on the map in the world. Um, and you've developed a wonderful brand for yourself that's that's really had a demonstrable impact, not only on your career, but also like on the businesses you support. So like, take me through that. Like, it's only two years ago, you're living in Australia, and now you're in your second US city and your second major global role. Like, how did you like, just take us through that journey a little bit? I mean, it's just so, so impressive, Joe. I feel like it's it's slightly overstated. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I've had that much of an impact, um, but I... I think I'm more visible now. So like one thing that I reflect on is I do sometimes get people who I've worked with in Australia like 10 years ago who like who is this like little marketing coordinator in our small company like now on the stage for McDonald's what that what <laughs> that happened they reach out to me sometimes and go it's amazing what you're doing I can't believe you you've come so far I remember when I used to know you this kind of like nonsense chatter I'm like why why is that because I feel like throughout my entire career, I've always been trying to transform my organizations and like push the boundaries, but sometimes in a very like troublemaker type of style, like really um, try to advocate for change. And, you know, very often in the, in a very public, in a very kind of confident way. So I think that the key difference is like one, I'm, I'm in America now and I and and maybe when I was in Australia I had American advocates who were putting me more in the spotlight what I find is that when you're in the U.S. or in a U.S. business that's or in a global head office you just can't like constantly um constantly approached with opportunities so the opportunity to meet people to come on a podcast to go and present at something to like just before this, I was interviewed for a magazine. I'm like, what the hell? What an experience. Oh, cool. So this kind of stuff just kind of comes your way much more. And because of that, you're just more public. But I, I would like to think that um, I would like to think that I've always been on the same agenda throughout my entire life and career was to drive positive change. It's just more visible now. Um, the other thing I'll say is that I feel incredibly lucky to be in foresight because basically like I stumbled into foresight is my story. I didn't even know it existed until probably 2018. Um, uh, what I knew of it was trends, which is like the poor man's version of foresight, if we're being honest. Um, and so once I found out about it and I like put my hand up for a project back in Australia, I started doing my own foresight work from Oz, the global business. And this is basically Michelle, like saw what I was doing and said, do you want to come and help us to create this in the global organization, move me to New Jersey, and then McDonald's moved me to Chicago to do the same thing for them. Um, but what Foresight is now is in the stage of adoption. So it's getting a lot more similar to me, a lot more visibility. So it's in the spotlight more. Um, it's like part glamour, but part like intense scrutiny. Like, what are you actually delivering? Are you just an inspirational platform talking about the future? Or are you actually driving change? Um, it's in a really interesting state right now. And I, what I'm really um, proud of and honored is to be one of the voices in Foresight that's helping to give it more credibility, more visibility, to show how it can be really impactful for organizations and for corporates. And um, yeah, just I think it's a really rare opportunity that I have. And I'm trying to like take 
every bit of it. So I'm I'm constantly like trying to remind myself to just be open to anything that comes my way to amplify what we're doing in foresight. I, I, I want to, we're going to go to foresight for a while because I, I find it uh, to be a misunderstood word and I'm hoping to leave this podcast smarter, but there's something about your reflection that resonates with me. Like you haven't changed. You've always had an insatiable appetite to innovate and to do things differently. It's that your platform came, became bigger as you had opportunities that you nailed and then they came on. And I, I think like, because somebody once asked me, and I, and I recognize I'm reflecting on like my own notes from our discussion. I wanted to talk to you about personal brand. And somebody once asked me to talk about personal brand. I'm like, what the fuck do I know about personal brand? But I think what, what I'm like, and I, I don't know, maybe we can just talk about it for a sec. Like you are you and you own that. Mm. That was just what gave you at bats, which then opened up your platform. And I, I think for so many people, maybe they, maybe the podcast isn't the thing for them, but what is your thing? And how do you own that as sort of, that's always my advice to people. Like, don't try to be me because I'm a loudmouth Bostonian. That's just who I am. It's not who you are. And that's okay, you know? Um, but that's cool. Like, so your, your reflection is like, I was a marketing coordinator trying to blow shit up and make it better. So like, nothing's actually different. Yeah, yeah. I think you, you described it really, really well. And I think, you know, the more people that get up into the the public space, and maybe this is the thing that's changed with me is just the confidence to be in the public sphere where you are up for criticism and you are up for, this is maybe overstating it, changing people's lives, but creating connections that help other people is maybe a better way to put it. Um, you are more in the public space. And the more that I see people like you who, and hopefully like me, who are just themselves in that public space, the more I think it gives permission to other people to tap into what you're talking about. It's like, what is that thing that I'm, that makes me unique about me that um, maybe is different and maybe is scary to put on a public sphere, but um, gives other people the permission to just do things their way. So obviously like with, with respect and with hard work and all of those amazing things, but like your style is very unique and you're like 100% genuine. And every time I meet with you, Ryan, I'm talking about Ryan now, um, <laughs> myself, uh, you're, you're the same, right? You're consistent. And that's how I hope that I come across as well is like the Joe that, um, you know, Manu, our chief customer officer speaks to is the exact same Joe that, you know, a supervisor in supply chain speaks to um, and is exactly the same one that you're hearing right now. That that's a thing that like, I think that comes with either just real comfort with being yourself and owning it, or maybe just time. But I, I have age. like old age, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Right. Like I, I've said this on this podcast before, but like for me, it was when Jill came in here one day and said, the work version of you sounds like an asshole, just talk the same way. And like, that was 15 years ago. And like, I just remember, you know, when someone says something, it just cuts through. And like, for me, I just like, oh, she's right. I'm going to talk to everybody the same way. And it's a lot less energy to have to put on a shtick. Like, I, I don't have a shtick. It's like, you know, and, and neither do you. And I, I think, yeah. uh, so, and, and, and the truth is, I fundamentally believe everybody's great at something. And so like, hopefully for all of you listening, you're doing something that you love because then everything else gets easier. So I want to ask you one more question. You said something about like the U.S. having more like networking and promote... What, what are some other reflections on like, because I, I mean, I, I run a global business. I visit a lot of other countries, yeah. but I've, I'm American, as about as American as they come. What are some of the like the differences you see and what were some of the challenges moving to America and, be, and kind of integrating into the business ecosystem here? 
It's a question that I get quite a lot. Uh, how was that cultural transition? Um, and like on the one hand, it was really easy because America is not that different to Australia. It's not like I moved to Zambia or something. Um, you know, it's it was fairly easy culturally to adapt. I think that what I often tell people is like, then once you settle in, it's the little things that are different. Like you, what I find in the corporate space in America is that people are a lot, maybe not you, but a lot harder to kind of like cut through that outer shell that they build up, that kind of like protective um, mechanism that a lot of Americans have, particularly in like more senior corporate roles um, to actually make friends, which is hard. Like that's one of the things that I think I found um, the most challenging. And I'm, I'm always up for a challenge. And I knew this coming in that I would be on the other side of the world, literally to like any family or friend that I have, aside from Michelle Gansley, um, who will get a shout out every 10 minutes on the podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like a timer. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I knew that I knew that going in, I knew that like there was one night where I had like something terrible happen and I really wanted to call someone and everyone's asleep. I'm like, I like had a realization that I had no one here. Literally alone then, like, oh, holy crap, true. yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's okay. That's, that's all a part of it, I think. Um, but I do, I do feel like it's, it's almost the impetus for you when you're over here by yourself, when you're moving to America that you like, no one's, everyone's going to be super friendly and welcoming, but no one's really going to give you like the pathway towards true friendship unless you like really work hard at it and you build and rebuild your connections over here. Um, I think the other thing like more on a more like fun note is that I just I kind of miss taking the piss out of things and maybe again this is why I really like you Ryan but in (laughs) Australia you can just you can you can swear you can like make fun of yourself you can make fun of other people it's it's a very kind of casual very down-to-earth atmosphere no matter where you are at work or personally Um, and in the U.S. everything's a little bit more buttoned up um which is okay for the most part um it's not hard to deal with I just kind of miss I miss taking the piss out of people and them not being sensitive about it yeah hey uh, everybody listening lighten the fuck up like yes we're just teasing me <laughs> it is funny I have a friend who's Dutch and he says it to me all the time he's like you're like the only American who I can make fun of and doesn't get mad <laughs> yeah well I mean like m- my husband and I we have a um a nickname for each other that starts with the letter C and sometimes we're <laughs> like, in public and we're like oh my god someone's gonna like call the police on us so yeah we we you know like just have have a laugh at yourself don't take life so seriously I know like this we're spinning around we're spinning around in a circle on a rock that circles around a ball of fire like everything's gonna be all right everybody yeah, yeah. Um, okay let's talk about some business for a second Okay. I called you two years ago because I was on the phone with somebody and he was trying to figure out foresight. And I said, there's only one person I know who knows anything about foresight and it was you. <laughs> and since then I've tried to, I've started to like form my own opinions, but what does foresight mean to you? And I want to spend a little bit of time because like if in the next 10 minutes, if we can give everybody some tangible tips, that'd be awesome. But like, what does it actually mean? And then we can talk a little bit about how you can make it work for your company. Mm, okay. Now I'm really curious what you think foresight is. Oh, okay. All right. We can play this game. Um, I think foresight, fuck. Okay. So now I got to really think about this. I think (laughs) foresight is leveraging your view of culture and and people and where they're going 
to try to, to try to see where the world will be in the future state so that you can get there before your competitors do. I just made that up on the fly. I've never thought about that before. Yeah. Was that full of shit? <laughs> That's really good. Yeah, I think that you're bang on. Um, it's about observing people, observing the world. I like to say it's about intentionally observing things. Because I think that everyone in any part of a business is observing things. Like, this is what I thought when I first went into Foresight. I'm like, I'm already doing this. Like, I'm watching trends. I'm seeing the changes in plant-based and the environment and everything else. Like, what's what else? What's different? So I think it's the intentional observation that's really unique is the ability to um, take what you're seeing and see how is it connected? Who are the winners and the losers? What might it mean into the future? And to your point, project it out, but then also project different alternatives. So a key a kind of um, a benefit of foresight is that it can help you to prepare or to plan for the things that are unexpected. So we often talk about blind spots or wild cards, those things that come out of nowhere, seemingly come out of nowhere is if you're preparing far out enough, you can start to have like, you know, maybe three, maybe five different scenarios for something playing out so that you're already putting in place, if not plans, then just the level of thinking about how am I going to react if that happens. And then ideally your foresight team is helping you with time because so much of change and knowing when to act on something is about the timing. Like when is the right tipping point, particularly for a large organization? If something's emerging and it's in the fringes, how do you figure out when you should actually invest in it or when you should act on it? So, so much of it is about giving timing, but I think more broadly, so from a um, maybe more philosophical perspective, foresight is really about having the courage to face a changing world. So going into the future with your eyes wide open, that things are not going to be the same as they always have been. And that's okay because the second part to that is that you have an opportunity and an ability and a responsibility to help to drive the change in the future that you want to see. And this can happen from like as an individual in an organization, as a small company and as a big multinational, perhaps more than anybody else. You have a responsibility to look at the future with your eyes wide open, intentionally observe what's happening, and then ideally put things in plan so that you can influence the future towards hopefully, you know, growing the business and maintaining the business for, in our case, another 68 years, but also, you know, driving some of the more positive change that you believe in as an organization. Yeah, that, it makes a lot of sense. It's something that struck out to me too, of like knowing when to act. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Like, so, you know, Meta gets a lot of shit for the big bet on Metaverse and it not working. And I think it's an example of what you said, because like I have little children and mm-hmm. If they had their way, they would live in virtual worlds and buy their Roblox people and whatever the fuck they do in there. And to me, that's probably a very strong indicator of a future trend that's not the world's not ready for right now. And so, as a function of a company making a bet, and no one ever really gave me the vocabulary of like it was the right bet at the wrong time until you until you just sort of said it. So it kind of like it kind of stuck out to me. Yeah, it's also like just understanding. what to do at what time as well. Like in our organization, we talk a lot about um, flexitarian diets and the move towards plant-based. So the meta version of that would be like, we would come out and be like, we are a plant-based company. It's like, well, no, we're still the same company. We're just experimenting. We're piloting, we're exploring, we're expanding. Right. So maybe that's maybe more so the tack that they should have taken. It's like, yes, this thing that you're investing in is, 
exciting and it's real and it's emerging, but it's it's not here yet. You're you're experimenting into the future. We think it's there, so we're gonna we're gonna iterate instead of yeah. this is what our company is. Forget the fact that right. we're let's rename company. the company. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> shout out to all the great people from Meta who are looking for jobs um, because there's a lot of really talented people. That's uh, sad. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So uh, another foresight question: Who do you work with mostly? Who are your partners, your business partners, your stakeholders? Like, I can't imagine it's the same people that an insights person deals with. It's different, um, but what I would say is it's different every day. So I think with insights, you're a little bit more um, you're a little bit more driven by answering a question that the business has, whereas in foresight, you're posing questions to the business that they haven't been asking, or you're broadening their perspective beyond what they're currently looking at. And so what that means is that we basically deal with well, we deal with the entire global organization and foresight um, in some small part. So we um, have obviously 119 markets, like we've done workshops with 20. Um, We have impacted more than 2000 um, people in the organization over the year that I've been there. So we've reached um, a pretty broad range of stakeholders. So we do, whether it's foundational foresight guidance or whether it's deep dives on projects, we have worked with global functions like a global brand, restaurant design, marketing, sorry, marketing is brand, um, global menu, um, customer experience. We might work with those functions. We've done more like uh, very specific deep dives and guidance into other functions like supply chain and global impact, so sustainability, nutrition. Um, And then we've also worked quite extensively with markets themselves, so our top 10 markets. So we've done workshops with the leadership teams of the US and and Germany and Canada and Italy, et cetera. Um, And then we kind of cascade and deploy out to our global market. So we've done like a Latin America cascade. And within that would be like all your senior stakeholders across various functions in the organization. And then we've been lucky enough to have some uh, tiny bit of interaction with our franchisees as well and our owner operators. So some of those ones that are a little bit more future forward thinking and are um, working with our market leaders, um, they've brought us into those. So I guess the the challenge there, like even when you say it out loud, you're like, well, how do you rein this thing in? Because the demand is outstripping the supply. So you have to be very choiceful about when you are engaging in that kind of broad way, what is it that you're delivering? Because again, like you want to be that inspirational, you know, team that's just delivering trends and, and the fun stuff. You want to be actually driving impact and driving strategic direction. Um, and, and, uh, thinking, you know, right up front, like throughout the year, we have a plan of like, what are the four initiatives that we're actually going to deep dive into? What are those things that we're uncovering the rest of the business isn't looking at because they're so focused on 12 months or the first three years, um, as they should be right. Like, this is the thing that I often say is like, not, not everybody in the organization should be doing foresight. We should be running the business. We should be, have the majority of our business, looking at 12 months that is a good thing it's not a bad thing um but you know where hopefully that little um team that comes in and sparks your thinking about the what if in the further out horizon yeah interesting okay so i have a super practical question like what are some of your signals that you are intentionally using or is it everything when you say signals okay so what i mean by i'm sitting here going if i was to put it bluntly like what's the stack of tools 
data sets, things mm. you use to get inspiration. And I'm wondering if it's just mm. like, actually we consume everything and triangulate with what, you know, like, like what are, what are your sources of inspiration? I guess is what I'm actually trying to ask. Yeah, uh, it's a really important question um, and a very big one. I think, you know, uh, in short, it's what you said. It's a broad range of sources that we triangulate and we look across what we say is kind of like, um, you know, if you say six data types. Um, so if you think about the steep macro forces of change, it's um, we look at societal and cultural sources. Um, we look at, like we do pull in consumer behavior, but we try to stay away from claimed. We look more at meta analyses of changing consumer behaviors and dynamics um economy uh economies and changing you know financial situations we look at that we look at where the investments are being made um mm. what are the projections for growth for some of the emerging markets or functions on categories um environmental so we're constantly like we're reading the you know um i'm, I'm actually going to cop 28 this year so, um, yeah this cool. year which is very cool um we're paying attention to um un related climate documents you know we're reading um, scientific papers on the environment, but we're also speaking to environmental experts. Where am I in the steep model? Technological, I missed that. So we're, um, uh, you know, reading the latest tech advancements, investments, innovation papers, where we're constantly trying to think about, like, if this is emerging, what does it mean? So, for example, we did a deep dive with our data science team on generative AI, which is obviously, like, right before it hit the, you know, the buzz hype phase to say okay this thing is is about to hit a tipping point of hype like just pull back and let us give you a perspective on this because it has a lot of risks mm. and um it might not mean today what it will mean in the future um and then political right so looking at governments legislation which is obviously something that's really impactful for our organization so i'd say like we, we're triangulating all of that we have an always on horizon scanning tool and partnership we have a partnership with the copenhagen institute for the future so i think it's really important if i'm giving advice if that's where you're going um is for you to really think about you know who are you partnering with what are your data sources and how are you using that data because you can very quickly get overwhelmed with the amount of information so again it goes back to like my my mantra of be intentionally observant intent yeah exactly but it, it, there's a there's a parallel to me that I'm like I'm I'm not stressing about but I'm thinking about as we're talking like stressing you out what's stressing me out is it's the next topic I wanted to talk to you about which is it's this degree of change but let's talk about why I'm I'm, I'm thinking about it all the data around us mm -hmm. needs, to be, needs to be set up, in my opinion, to go to work for us beyond the which cheeseburger should we launch. And, and I think as an industry, we've still just gotten comfortable using, and I buy, by an industry, I'm now talking about market research again. Yes. Yeah. We're still just gotten comfortable with like, let's, let's maybe use software in some cases and use consultants in another case. And, and we haven't really step changed that. And, and, you know, in our industry where data if it's private, secure, clean, language models and, and Gen AI are going to be a force multiplier for us if we can figure out the safety and the compliance side of it. Mm -hmm. And so this is the tension. If this industry can get to a place where all of our tools work for us, dare I say people who need to answer tactical questions on a Tuesday can just have the damn tools themselves. Then I'm sitting here thinking, 
how many of the really wonderful consumer insights people become foresights people because their superpower isn't testing a thing on Zappy. Their thing is like, well, if I have early adopters in this survey data, what's happening on social, what's happening in political, what's happening with technology, I can then triangulate a viewpoint of where the world's going. And so I had this tension in my mind of like, and it was only, it's only while we're having this discussion that I'm like, fuck, how much of the future of insights is foresight? Because if we do insights, if we transform or digitize or whatever buzzword you want to use, consumer insights effectively. Now, I would argue my brain is three years in the future of today's reality. Most insights departments are still coming along on a journey, right? And depending on which department you're in and which country, whatever. But I, I really believe there's like somebody in insights in the future whose job is to connect and enable these tools and systems. And maybe there's some people that are still doing activation projects, but I don't see why you wouldn't give those to people who need them on their desktop. And so I view the role of insights either connecting data or informing strategy. And so that's the, the tension is, well, there's a lot of overlap with what you're saying and what I believe yeah. people need to be doing more of. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think that's like exactly what I hope will happen. I think the way that we set it up in McDonald's is maybe reflective of that in its uh, early iteration or journey, which is that we have insights in three parts. The first is insights of today, which is, I think, predominantly what a lot of organizations focus on. Insights of tomorrow, which is what you're talking about, where they're actually thinking a little bit further ahead and they're using the data in a more strategic way to imagine what could be and project it out and um, to think in a more imaginative way, maybe. And then insights for the future, which is where foresight sits. Um, and so I think, you know, when you when you think about, um, you know, where technology is headed and how, you know, this broader conversation that's taking place around what can be replaced, what's irreplaceable. I think that the, the ability for us, particularly as insights people, to lean into our human ingenuity, so creativity, imagination, critical thinking, I don't think that those things will ever be truly replaced with technology. So how do you spend more time leveraging technology for the things that you don't need to be hands-on with and more time imagining the future and what could be. Yeah. I mean, that, what you just said is like, that drives me like this, we're too grounded in the project. And, um, and, and so if I have one more topic I want to discuss with you, then I'll leave you alone. Well, I don't want to, I'd love to hang with you longer. Yeah. It can be like an eight hour episode. <laughs> yeah, exa exactly. Exactly. We'll just keep riffing. So I said something to Joe before this, this conversation in email. So we're going to, we might even have a little debate here. I've been doing some customer immersions lately and not my biggest customers, our most sexy customers, but just sort of studying like where are insights and marketing departments at. And what I see is a plethora of desire to do better. Way too many buzzwords and tools being thrown around, but nothing's really changed mm. from eight years ago mm -hmm. in terms of how they spend their time and, and are they actually getting upskilled and enabled? And I'm, I'm speaking in generalizations. Of course, some departments are doing great and, and everybody I do believe is trying, but why do you think we're, we're struggling to step change the work and how we work and, and all this technology around us, all this opportunity and desire, but it still seems like the same stuff in a lot of places. What do you think this is, is holding us back? Mm. It's such a big question, isn't it? I know, but it, it keeps me up at night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think 
um, I think what is very real and very true in the world right now um, is anxiety. And we're just feeling anxiety about so many different things. Like people are just feeling overwhelmed and they don't necessarily probably feel like they have the soft skills to handle that kind of um, volatility in their lives. So we, um, this is maybe seemingly going a little off topic, but before the pandemic, we were coming into a mental health crisis before the pandemic, then the pandemic hit, it exacerbated it. We've got eco-anxiety, worry about the environment. We've got now like things about AI taking over our lives and like literally taking over our jobs in many cases coming in. So I think people are feeling, you know, we call it the um, polycrisis, right? It's these, uh, it feels like there's just so many things. By the way, polycrisis is not a new thing. It's been around since the 90s, but it feels like it's new. It feels like change is happening at a faster rate than what we can control or we can even process ourselves. So I think that it's the, what I see is, maybe being a bigger opportunity is how do you give insights professionals more soft skills and more tools to be able to handle um, the influx of like expectations that they're facing, the, the, the softer capabilities of like, yes, I will have more data. I will have more tools. I will have more issues probably to deal with, but how am I telling the story? Like what really matters in the end is almost like, trusting that you're partnering with the credible, you know, data sources and tools and capabilities, but then none of that is for anything unless you can present it in a compelling way to your senior stakeholders. Like how do we, how do we focus our insights professionals more on that? And that's where the funny part of my job title sort of comes in is with capabilities exploration is so much of it is like training our insights guys to be comfortable on a stage to tell a story without relying on 50 page PowerPoints to, build confidence in themselves to talk about their worth and and their you know the the work that they put into and over and above and on top of all of the data and the insights that they obtained so I don't know if that's answering your question but I think that going back to the point around change and volatility in the world what we know from the data um, is that when you're in a time of volatility and disruption you are more likely to make bad decisions so I almost feel like it's an opportunity for insights people to like slow down and really think about what they're like. Do you have the soft skills to to handle anxiety? Do you have the soft skills to like lead your people through this time where everything feels like it's in a polycrisis state? Um, are you making wise decisions um, and educated decisions and informed decisions? And like, do you know how you're leveraging your people versus your technology? So I don't know if that answers your question. Probably not, but. No, it does. It, it, I mean, it create it, it certainly creates empathy and it resonates with me, right? Like, I mean, I, uh, I was saying this to our staff last week. Like, if you think of just the last three years, I mean, it's just been chaos all around us. The whole, yeah. like, you know, and I, I don't know about you, but one of the things that was good about the pandemic years was that I got to spend more time with my family than I've been able to spend. The other part about it was I became a lot less social. And I don't know if that's the two years of age that happened, but also like, my battery gets, my battery runs out faster than it used to. So I, I have a lot of empathy for it. And, and, yeah. and the other part of what you say, the more like uh, skills oriented part of your words resonate with me because it wasn't 10 years ago that most insights departments were told, grade the homework, protect the risk, present the data. That was the job. And so mm-hmm. 
and, and become agile was something McKinsey, again, threw out at people and no one actually was enabled with the up leveling that was needed to like do some of the stuff you're discussing. Like, yeah, this data yeah. says this, but I was on the subway and I saw these five things and I know our business has these things and therefore yeah. we should do this. Um, and yeah. I just, I encourage leaders that are listening to this to spend more time on development of people. Mm. And, but it does start with you. Like I talked to Tom, who's our chief people officer about this all the time. It's like, we can do so much to give somebody a framework to improve themselves or the budget to improve themselves. Mm. But everybody has to want to, right? And actually put in the time. Yeah. yeah and just being fashion. That's why. Yeah. Well, it kind of goes back to the point that I can't remember if it was before we started recording or, or during, but the the more that you see these kinds, like that kind of message and it being demonstrated in action by your leaders, like by you, the more people feel like it's okay to focus on that stuff, that it's okay that you're not just a data monkey and you're not like a button pusher, that you can actually like be another person in the organization that's driving that change that we all want to see happen. Yeah. And I think like, if some people listeners might be like, but that's the problem, Ryan and Joe, like, my marketing director just wants me to give him a score. Um, there's a piece of advice that I got from a woman who started an insights department. The company didn't know what to do with insights. They just know they wanted it, right? It's probably similar to when you started doing foresight. So this, we need to do this, but we don't know why. And I, does that resonate? Did that happen? Maybe a little bit. Uh, I think they knew why, but not how. It's like, just okay. get in there and work it out, you know. So that's, that's what this woman was explaining to me. And I was yeah. like, so what do you do? And she's like, well, I didn't ask for budget. I didn't, I didn't buy tools. And I didn't ask them what they wanted to learn. I went and created value. And mm -hmm. I won't share why in specifics, because that's her business to share. But what I liked about that was, even if you're in a paradigm where it's like, which can's better, which can's better, which can's better, mm -hmm. what, what a lot of you might feel your job is, if there is some space to carve out a, hey, I saw the last 50 cans that you asked me to look at and we shouldn't be using cans anymore. Well, that that, that could create some different sort of dialogue. Um, and so, yeah. And, and, and like use the data to your benefit. So I have a um, one, of, one of my mentors and someone that I've been connecting with regularly for a long time is Royce Hersake. She's the very lucky I met her um, a long time ago. She's the president of WPP in Australia. And one of the first pieces of advice she wrote to me is still on a sticky note on my wall, which is make it real. So like you make a case for it. Use the data that you have. Use the knowledge that you have to your point about the business and about the consumer. And like if you're th throwing something new into the mix, like make it compelling, make it real for people. Um, because I think a lot of the times we we kind of discount the ability to change something because it, it's actually really hard putting a, a very compelling, strong case together that's going to change someone's mind. But that's what cuts through, right? With yeah. assertion and, and it takes extra time. That's good advice. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, um, sorry, I've taken 15 more minutes of your life than you budgeted. Um, Joe, thank you. I can't wait to see you. I, I'm sure I'll see you at one of these events sometime soon or maybe even Chicago before it gets cold. Yeah, that'd be nice. All right, Joe, good to see you. Thanks to everybody for listening. So Patricia, a couple things that you want to talk about after our episode with Joe. Let's talk about them. She's, um, 
The topic of our conversation today is foresight. So of course I want to highlight foresight, but I want to start with, with the second one first. The second one is where she talks about being her and how her personal brand has evolved and not evolved. I like how she started out being herself and then people started noticing and then how she manages anxiety. So let me talk about that for a second. She talks about using the nerves that we get. She, she, she's just as nervous as anybody when she goes out and speaks publicly. She's incredibly curious, not about, not only about life and her job, but about trying new things. She speaks about, you know, taking every single opportunity, even if you're nervous about it, even if you're scared. She goes, if you're scared, that means you care. So she started thinking about it backwards. The more nervous I am, the more scared, the more scared I am. That means the more I care about doing it right. So she uses her anxiety and her nerves and her stress to feed her energy, which I think is brilliant. It's brilliant. She uses her own power to power herself. I mean, if that's not better than any hybrid car I've seen, I mean, she's just invented it. She invented the whole thing. And she says she's, I mean, I just got to meet her, but she says she's been this way always. And just recently did it become something that's kind of accepted and, and marketable. Let's use that word, although it's an ugly word. But she spoke about, of course, the transition between Australia and, and the U.S. But she says that in the U.S., the main difference is she gets more and more opportunity. So if she's not in the right place, then nobody is. Because she's a person who knows how to take advantage of every opportunity by being herself, by not pretending to be anybody else, by understanding that everybody is great at something and let's go share it so we can help somebody else. And I really, really like that. And that's something Ryan has told me so many times. You've got so much to share. Go share it. Be public about what you can be. So I really like the, the way that she's doing that. And she's using it to create connections in her new world, in her new world of the United States, right, from, from Australia. So I mean, I want to make sure that all of us understand and take learning from that. Because everybody has to change from one place to the other at one point of their lives, whether it's neighborhoods, jobs, you know, families or countries or cultures or anything, but just embrace it, embrace it. I'm going to take that with me forever. So thank you, Joe, for that. So the other one I want to talk about is foresight, which is what, what brought us together today. You said right away, foresight is misunderstood. You had a beautiful, I mean, you pulled a beautiful definition out of, out of my house. ass, by the way. So <laughs> I'm like, what? He never said that before. It was amazing. You did a great job, but you're right. Foresight is one of those words that people just use, right? And they don't really know what they're, what they're meaning. It's misunderstood and it needs to be expanded upon. And I really like the way she started. She started talking about it, that foresight is in a stage of adopt adoption. The world is adopting to foresight and what it means. And we're, I think that as a, a world, we're defining it as we go, right? And it's gaining visibility. And what does this mean that it's in, in vogue? That means, yes, it's got a lot of glamour, but it's got a lot of scrutiny too. And it makes it very different from trends. She called trends. I had to laugh because I have friends and myself who believe enormously in trends. And she said, trends is like the poor person's foresight. And I thought, oh, oh, oh boy, that's, that's, oh, that's kind of, that's a deep cut. But anyway, you asked her defining. And she said, the objective of foresights is to help you plan for the unexpected. I thought to myself, oh, I hadn't thought of that that way. And then I thought, okay, now she sets the stage and she goes, it's all about observing intentionally. And you know how much I love mindfulness mm -hmm. about connecting the dots with what you see about so that you can project into the future what you're learning not just about looking and oh look how cool this color is in trend what are you going to do with that color what does that color mean right projecting into the future so that you can 
create different alternatives. When we, when we talk about plan A, plan B, plan C, that's having foresight. And she goes, even if you don't create a plan, specific plan written on paper, it's teaching you to think differently so that you can know how to approach the future. And if this happens, then I'm gonna do this. And if that happens, I'm gonna do that. And that's a whole complete way of thinking, which I think, which pardon my redundancy, which I feel and believe is needed for everybody, not just the experts in foresight. So the fact that she's seeping this into culture is excellent. She talked about the fact that it's different from insights because there's three types of insights. Insights for today, insights for tomorrow, and insights for the future. And insights for the future, that's foresight. So I thought that was fantastic the way she separated it. Yeah, you talked I a agree. Lot about, you talked a lot about tools, and I'll let you get into that in a second, but it's all about having the courage to face an uncertain future and know that if you plan appropriately and you learn how to observe intentionally, you're going to be in a better place because you're going to be ready. For, not only are you going to be ready for the change, you're going to be ready to insert yourself into the future and drive positive change. So I thought that was brilliant. You asked her a really hard question that she answered to her best of her ability. That I don't think anybody, I think it was an unfair question, right? Oh, and she no, answered I no, 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 it wasn't you. It was a great question, but it's unfair because I don't think anybody has answered the timing part. How do you know when to act on a foresight? Ooh. Right? You don't. And that she said, you know, something along the lines of, you really don't. Nobody really knows. What you're, you're doing is planning for that so that when it happens to you, you know how to act because you've already thought about it. And so I thought that was great because it's, she's not promising a crystal ball, which many people do. She's giving us She's helping us gain tools to go bravely into the night, right? And I have a bonus, but I'm going to let you talk about those two for a second because I know you love this topic. Well, I, I do. And, and, and so it's really interesting. Like the first episode of a season, you get rusty doing this shit. So I was like kind of nervous, particularly because Joe is like just so badass. But, um, you know, it was, the first, it was the first interview and it was just a good conversation. Like to, to actually learn about foresight in this conversation was fantastic. And it gave me the vocabulary, as you said, the horizons of insight are really big. And then I thought about it a lot afterwards. Um, and, and, and I think there's people who work in foresight that need to establish the capability within a company. But to me, the real tension is everybody's got a day job. And most people's incentives, bonuses, raises are going to be predicated by the day job and not nearly enough people, including people at Zappy. In fact, it's an idea that I got today, aren't even incentivized on like, exponential things. And, and I think that there's a really interesting thing of like, how do you teach people to stop, pause, zoom out, reflect, even though varying degrees of hamster wheel might be existing in their life. And, and that's, I don't think that's necessarily just a work thing. I think that's like a thing, a life thing. Um, and I do it. I got fucking whiteboards everywhere because I'm psychotic and I like to zoom out, but how do you like, how do you create that capability? And, and I think on just on Joe in general, right? Like She's always been curious and bold and not afraid to speak up. And, and those things for her are authenticity. And, and I think authenticity is like, if you could find that in your life, really, really advantageous. And because you're just betting on yourself and doing something you like, and you don't have any other armor or bullshit to deal with. And as Joe said, she's kind of like, ah, I'm not in the same job, like, you know, it's a different job now. And, and I respect that because she's, her, she's been the constant in her journey. And that's why her journey has gone where it needed to. Um, so what's your bonus? My bonus. I mean, it was hard because I was going to choose two. It was so good. But there was many things she said, but this one I loved. It made me giggle. It literally made me giggle. And she said, don't take life so seriously. 
We are all spinning around in a circle on a rock that spins around a ball of fire. I thought to myself, oh yeah, we, we are. <laughs> okay, she's right. All right, I mean, it's, it's just, I don't think we take the time to consider that. And she said this after she commented that Australia and the US are slightly different because we're a little bit more uptight. And, the, and I'm going to count myself because, you know, I'm 50-50 Colombian-American, right? But yep. but the, 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 the Colombian in me fights with the American in me because Colombians are uptight in a different way than Americans are. But both of us are, both both parts of me are more uptight than Australians. Australians are just out there. They're just I like, love it yeah. too. yeah. But she talked about the fact that that's one of the things that she's noticed the most from the U.S., that, that we've got a little bit of a core, a little bit of a, you know, a mask and armor. But, you know, we're spinning around a ball of fire. Let's let it go. I let it go, it. guys. I can say the sample size of a few. You just started a new job. Chief growth officer at a CPG company. Oh, yeah. Joe's flying. And I have the privilege to do what I do. The constant, we all drop the armor. We all drop the and our next guest is no guest. And we have some learnings to share from our own work and trying to make exponential change happen. Have a good day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Ciao.